I realize that he bore my transgressions And I know that he bled for my sin And the cross lifted high was essential Eternal salvation to win But was not until three days passing Brought news from the garden so grand That the one who had died was arisen To give life to the poor sons of man I believe Jesus died I believe that Jesus cried It is finished through Calvary's gloom But if the tale ended there I'd still be in despair My hope is the empty tomb My hope is the empty tomb Oh, I know that the world will not look past A great teacher who gave up the ghost But the death of a martyr, though noble Could never redeem human hope Had faithful men laid the body away And the stone remained sealed on the grave Our souls would yet be without ransom With no victor with the power to save I believe Jesus died I believe that Jesus cried It is finished through Calvary's gloom If the tale ended there, I'd still be in despair. My hope is the empty tomb. My hope is the empty tomb. Oh, the old rugged cross with its terror was the place where our sin debt was paid. And there lifted up From his own earth, the Lord Jesus, our offering was made. But the sun was gone dark and refused to shine. The world's hope fell to blackness of night. But the rising of Jesus come morning, proved his promise that he was delighted. Jesus died, I believe that Jesus cried, it is finished through Calvary's gloom, but if the tale ended there, I'd still be in despair, my hope is the empty tomb, my hope is the empty tomb, I believe Jesus died, I believe Jesus cried, it is finished through Calvary's gloom. But if the tale ended there, I'd still be in despair. My hope is the empty tomb. My hope is the empty tomb. The other two mics... 
We'll see if they work high and low. We get them t- teamed up there together. So. That's a great look on Steve's face there. I, I like that. All right, let's open our Bibles tonight. Hebrews, no, I'm sorry, 1 Peter, there it is. 1 Peter chapter number 5. 1 Peter chapter number 5. The Bible says, All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And in three particulars, the Bible refers to Jesus Christ as a shepherd. He is called the good shepherd who giveth his life for the sheep. He's called the great shepherd who will come again to rule and reign over his pasture. Tonight we're going to look at Jesus who is called the chief shepherd. The chief shepherd. And that has particularly to do with his watch care over his church. And then if time permits, we'll take a quick look at a a phrase that, not a particular name of Jesus, but a a, a beloved designation for Jesus, and that is the chiefest among 10,000. But first tonight, Jesus as the chief shepherd. Let's pray together. Father, bless your word to our hearts tonight. We're so glad that you rose from the dead. There have been a lot of men die for causes through the years, and several men have been bold enough to die for others. But only one died and then rose again, triumphant over the grave. And we thank you for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And pray that you'd help us tonight as we study truth about Him, that uh, we'd fall in love with Him uh, as never before. In His precious and holy name we pray. Amen. First Peter 5 and verse number 1. First Peter 5, 1. The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd, Capital S there, that's Jesus. When the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Everything that God established has order to it. When God put a man and a woman in a garden, He established that the man would be the head of the home. When God established government, He set kings upon thrones and judges upon seats uh, where they would uh, hear the affairs and the matters of state. When He established the church, He established a particular order in the church. And here's where the, where the rub comes in. Different denominations and different churches differ over who the authority in the church is going to be. 
Some say the pastor is the authority in the church. Some say the elders or the governing board of, of deacons are to be the authority in the church. Some say the people who have the most money and contribute the most money are the authority in the church. Uh, some say there's an outside denominational uh, structure that comes in and exercises authority over the church. Some would even seek to be more righteous than all these others and say, why the Bible is to be the authority in the church. Yet the passage we just read makes it very clear. The church belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. And He is the head of that church, and He is the chief shepherd of that church. And it really shouldn't matter who His helpers are in the field. Each and every one of them should recognize that that's what they are. They are farmhands. They are field laborers. They, they might have, some might have a job of feeding and some might have a job of watering and some might have a job of mending fences and some might have a job of scouting pasture and some might have a job of, of shearing or of medicating or tending to broken sheep, but none of them are the shepherd. Jesus Christ is the good shepherd, the chief shepherd, the great shepherd. Lord is very, very careful in His Bible about what words He uses and about what words he doesn't use. And he never refers to anyone in the church as a shepherd, but Jesus Christ. We don't want to be competing with him for authority within his church. We want to all be serving him in his church. Now, let's take a look at what the Bible says about these elders, and about their ministry, but more importantly, at what it says about the chief shepherd, because that's, that's the key, that's what we want to get. Verse number one, the elders which are among you, they are not over, they are among, they're not elevated, they are on equal footing, they don't hold a higher place. Now once upon a time, this is going way back, hundreds if not thousands of years, this is going way back, what your Baptist and, and forefathers of similar persuasion, what marked them as different from these, these gigantic systems like Roman Catholicism or uh, the Orthodox churches, was they held steadfastly to the idea of what they called the priesthood of all believers. That every saved man was just that, a saved man. And that there were no Nicolaitans where clergymen exercised dominion over laymen. And, and that all of us were washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. And all of us were kept by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Though we might have had different gifts and different duties within the church, we were all just members of the church. As time has gone on, we have, we've carelessly gotten away from that biblical principle. The elders are not over the church, they are among the sheep, because they are a sheep. Look, if, if, if you're a sheep, and then you become a Sunday school teacher, and you're still, still a sheep, and then you become a deacon, and you're still a sheep, where's this transformation when you be, go from deacon to pastor that transforms you from a sheep into a shepherd? You're still a sheep. And if you forget that, a number of things will happen, and very few of them are good, if any. 
So the elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. As we've been discussing in some of our Bible school classes, notice he's already getting in on what he's going to enjoy in heaven. The glory shall be revealed, but I'm already partaking of it. Do you have the Holy Spirit? Do you have joy? Do you have peace? Do you have all these? Now, you don't have to wait till you get to heaven to enjoy the blessings of God. You can have them right now. All right, verse 2. Feed the flock of God. The flock belongs to God. It doesn't belong to the denomination. It doesn't belong to the fellowship. It doesn't belong to the cooperative. It doesn't belong to the pastor, the elders, the deacons, or the sister who's outlived them all. Or the brother who says, well, I put more money in here. Look, the church belongs to Jesus Christ. The flock belongs to Jesus Christ. And those who have positions of leadership within the church, as well as those who have positions of support within the church, should all continually appreciate we are His people and the sheep of His pasture. He's the shepherd. We're the sheep. All of us. So he says, feed the flock of God which is among you. Again, notice the phrase. Among you. They're not beneath you. They're not below you. They're not under you. The pastor is, is, is on a platform so everyone can see and hear the Word, and so he can see and hear who's listening to the Word and who's not. But it, it's, it's, it's for um, communication purposes. In, in our fellowship, in our union with Christ, in our union with one another, there are not stair steps. There are not exalted positions. No one's exalted but Jesus Christ. No one occupies high ground but Jesus Christ. The, the, so you feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof. The oversight. It's not control. Any pastor who thinks he can control people will end up with people he can control, and nobody wants that. Or he will end up realizing that people who have their own walk with God and a brain that still works can't be controlled. You can't control a rebel, and you can't control a righteous man. You can't control a godly person, and you can't control an ungodly person. The responsibility of the elders within the body of Christ is to keep an eye on things. To sight, to see, to look, to observe, to watch. Beyond that, you have very, very little control. We watch and we pray. We watch and we minister. We watch and we bear burdens. We watch and we run to help. We watch and we, and we warn. But control, that's out of the question. There's no pastor on this earth can make a husband love his wife. There's no pastor on this earth that can make a wife love her husband. They can watch and say, boys and girls, that's a good marriage. Follow the example of that couple. They can watch and say, hey, brother, everything okay? I've noticed a little friction there. Is there something we can do to help? You can watch. You can instruct. You can guide. You can encourage. You can't control. There's not a pastor in this world can make a parent love their child or a child be subject to their parents. You can teach. 
you can exhort, you can't control. I'm telling you, the church belongs to Jesus Christ. And the more we will do the, the job that God's given us of overseeing, and the less we do of looking down upon, the better off we'll be. If Jesus is the shepherd, he's the one with a staff in his hand, nobody else. He's the one with a rod in his hand, nobody else. It's Jesus. All right, so he says, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Now, think for a minute. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. He calls upon every member of the church to be like Him, to walk in His footsteps, to allow the Holy Spirit to conform us to His image. How much more those whom He has placed to be leaders within a flock, should they not be walking an exemplary life? Should they not be manifesting the character and the quality and the person of Jesus Christ? Okay, we, we would agree to that. Then what do these verses say to us about our chief shepherd? He does not constrain. He receives willing service. He doesn't make you serve. He receives willing worship. He doesn't make you worship. He rewards willing obedience. He doesn't make you obey Him. Now, I would, I would say, in, in some respects, I, I'm being honest about my life, and you'll have to be honest about your own life at some point in time. I'm being honest about my life. It would probably be easier for me to live the Christian life if the Lord made me do it. If he took away the options and he said, all right, at five o'clock this afternoon until six o'clock this afternoon, you will get on your knees and you will pray. And if you don't get on your knees, I'll put you on your knees. You're going to pray. And tomorrow afternoon when it comes time to go out on visitation, I don't care where you aim your car. I'm going to make your car go there. And how many complaints and howls of despair would go up from saved people if God took away their will and made them obey Him? Now, now hang on. Because we all get frustrated. Sunday school teachers get frustrated. Parents get frustrated. Um, Christian workers get frustrated. Pastors get frustrated. Hi, Lord, I, I just I don't know how to make those people do right. And, and if God would speak to you, He'd say, neither do I. Lord, I've done everything I know to do, and they're just not faithful. And he said, yeah, I even sent my son to die for them. And that didn't work. So, Jesus doesn't make sheep give. He doesn't make sheep study the Bible. He doesn't make sheep patch up broken relationships. It's constraint. No. It's willing. Yes. He doesn't constrain. Look, we, we, in a, in, under one of these other headings, we'll talk about, in Luke 15, the sheep that went astray. Is Jesus Christ not the creator of the heavens and the earth? Does he, did he not say, all power in heaven and earth is given unto me? Then how does a sheep ever go astray? 
Because if the sheep wants to wander off, he doesn't stop it. You are free to reject Jesus Christ. You are free to receive him. Having received him, you are free to follow him and you are free to wander off. And this is why it's so very dangerous to say things like, well, I just had peace about it. Or, well, if the Lord doesn't want me to do it, he'll just stop me. He doesn't constrain. My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. We'll look at that in a minute. You drive cattle. You lead sheep. We're not cattle. We're sheep. Jesus isn't behind you with a staff and a whip making you go where he wants you to go. He's saying, this is where I'm going. Come on, follow me. So we learn about the chief shepherd as we learn about the uh, elders. Then he says in verse, verse number th- uh, 2, Not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Now again, Christians are to be like Christ. Every believer is to be like Jesus. The elders who have leadership in the church, it is expected, and the Bible requires, that they be more like Jesus than the sheep among whom they dwell. Correct? This means you don't serve the Lord, vertical, and you don't serve the sheep, horizontal, for reward. You do it because it's the right thing to do, not for filthy lucre. You say, well, who set that example? Oh, how about Jesus, who laid down his life and died for everyone, including the billions who would just make fun of him and refuse him? How about all the saved people who, quite honestly, have not been a very good return on Jesus' investment? He does not minister His grace to us for what He gets in return. He ministers His grace to us because that's what He delights to do. The chief shepherd. Look, at the end of the day, the sheep don't reach into their wool britches and pull out their wallet and say, well, here's five for watching after me and here's one for that still water. Appreciate that. Here's one for the green pasture. Thanks a lot, shepherd. No, you know what they do? They lay down and go to sleep. He gets no reward for tending those sheep. Why does he do it? He loves the sheep. He cares about the sheep. And so, that's our chief shepherd. Quite honestly, if, if the Lord was going to be good to me in return for my being good to Him, if He was going to bless me in return for my being a blessing to Him, I'm toast. How about you? The first wolf that walks in the county, the chief shepherd saying, oh, I got one for you over here. Just pull right through the drive-thru and I'll hand him out the window. Isn't that right? But he takes care of us and protects us because that's what he delights to do. Verse 3, Neither is being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. And sample, that's the plural of example. Now, now think again, think about this. Jesus Christ is the Lord. There's, there's no doubt about it. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. He is Lord. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. 
but admit it tonight. He does not exercise his lordship over you. He is your Lord, but if you don't acknowledge him as such, the sun comes up on you the next day, the rain falls on you the next day, there's food on your table, there's clothes on your back, it is not conditional. He is the Lord, but he doesn't lord himself over you. Now, let's, let, let's just, for a minute, we're not going to argue the particulars, but for a minute, let's suppose the bare minimum for a Jew under the law was a tithe. And that the New Testament, if, if it teaches anything at all, it teaches at least that. And yet, the majority of saved people have never even thought about giving 10% of their income to the Lord, much less done it. And you know how many of their arms he's broken? None. You know how many of their children he's put in the hospital? None. You know how many times he's made their car go, God's going to get his 10% out of you one way or the other. He's not broke. <laughs> now, do you want to give? You know what the Bible said? Let him give cheerfully out of a willing heart. Is Jesus the Lord? Does he make you pay up? No. Okay, how about this one? Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Most saved people haven't even started on that. Much less making a, a decent run at it. There are, there are people who have been saved one year, two years, five years, ten years. They have yet to tell the first unsaved person how to be saved. Well, didn't Jesus command it? Well, how come these saved people are enjoying a nice house and a nice car and, and good church fellowship and, and the, the songs of the saints? And, and He's the Lord, but He doesn't make you. How about that? So, our chief shepherd is not what men make him out to be. He's not what saved people make him out to be. He's not making you do anything. He's not dominating your life. Now, if you would surrender control of your life to him, he would make it the best life anybody's ever lived. But you don't have to do that. If you would give him control of your life, you would find it to be life more abundant than anything you've ever known. But it's up to you to decide you want to do that. He's not... The songwriter said, take my life and let it be. Consecrated Lord to thee. You know why we have to say, take my life and let it be? Because he's not going to seize it against your will. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. You know what he said? I want you to present your bodies to me for service. That's not lordship. You give him your body or you don't. You give him your talents or you don't. You give, you give him your mind or you don't. Remember, the Lord came to that one man and he gave, gave him ten talents. 
And then he came around later to see what he'd done with them and rewarded him. He'd done well. Another man gave five talents, came around later, rewarded him because he'd done well. Gave another man one talent, came around, said, no reward for you. You didn't, you didn't do anything with it. Do you notice all of those men were free to do whatever they wanted to with the talents God gave them? He's the Lord, but he's not lording himself over you. How about that? So, well, then I'll just, now wait, verse 4. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. The chief shepherd is one day going to reward those sheep who followed his example. And for all eternity, they will be rewarded not for doing what he forced them to do, but for doing what they chose to do because they loved and trusted the chief shepherd. And again, this is why true biblical Christianity is harder to live than cult life or earn your salvation life because you, you really have to want to do it. Nobody's going to make you not even God. You will serve Him by faith, believing that He's worthy of your service or believing that the reward will make it worthwhile or you're not going to serve Him. He's not going to hurt you if you don't. He's not going to wreck your life if you fail. He's going to continue to bless you because He's the chief shepherd. He's going to lead you to still waters and lead you to green pastures and drive away the wolves and prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemies because that's who He is and that's what He does. And if you're smart enough and wise enough to follow him in eternity, you'll have a reward. And this is why people are going to be so surprised at the judgment seat because they say, well, I must be living to please the Lord. Look how much he's blessed me. He's blessing you because you're a sheep. He's not blessing you because you're a good one. He's blessing you because he's a good shepherd, not because you're a good sheep. And people, they make that mistake all the time. Well, if God wouldn't please the way I live in, how come I've got all this? Because He promised to supply your every need. People have a time of it, don't they? One day I'm going to stand before the Lord. And I'm going to be surprised when I say, well, Lord, I, I, didn't I please you? Well, no, as a matter of fact, you didn't. But, well, I thought I was pleasing you. You were so good to me. Well, how did you think I would be to you? I'm not bad. I'm good. I'm loving. I care for my sheep. Oh, I see. You thought you earned that. You thought I was being good to you because you are such a great sheep. No, 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 no. I was being good to you because I'm such a great shepherd. So don't mistake. God blessing your life for God being pleased with what you do. Are you willingly following the chief shepherd? For that there will be a reward. Now, let's go to John chapter number 10. John chapter 10. 
If you've been saved for any length of time, you probably know these verses or have heard them a time or two. John 10 and verse number 15. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. How about that? David, we'll talk about him in a later lesson. David was a shepherd. Great type and picture of Jesus Christ. And one time, a bear came and carried off one of the sheep. And David, at the risk of his own life, went out and took on that bear and delivered that sheep from that bear. He laid down. He put his life on the line so that sheep could live. Another time a lion came. I don't know about you, if I'm watching sheep and a lion comes, I might be tempted to say, if I get home with all but one, that's a pretty good percentage. And all the sheep but one would think I was a pretty good shepherd. But that one would disagree. David went out after that lion and delivered that sheep from that lion. He put his life on the line so that sheep could live. Now look at Jesus Christ. He's got the cherubim praising him and the seraphim praising him and the archangels praising him and the angels praising him and, 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 and he comes down here to this earth. Why? Because there were some sheep that were lost. And, and he put his life on the line so that you and you and you and you and you, so that we could be saved. He said, I, I'm chief shepherd because I lay down my life for the sheep. And then in verse 27 he says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life. And if they hang on, they might not ever perish. That's not what he said. And they shall never perish. Well, they must be great sheep. No. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. The sheep aren't secure because they follow the shepherd. The sheep are secure because the shepherd won't let them go. Praise God. And I give unto them eternal life, they shall never perish. Now the sin of men pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Aren't you glad to have a shepherd like that? Now you might wander off and get away from his, his uh, perfect green pastures. You might wander off and get away from his still waters and find yourself out in the wilderness sometime, but he'll come get you. He'll not let a lion have you. He'll not let a bear have you. He'll not let a wolf have you. You can get yourself in some scrapes, but you can't get yourself in the jaws of a lion. That shepherd said, right here, that's the only place they're ever going to dwell, in my hand. Glad of that, aren't you? All right, Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter number 12. He's the chief shepherd. It had to do in... in the passage in First Peter, it had to do with his 
coming, his kingdom, the rewards that he would give out. Luke 12, 31. No, let, let's go back. Let's go back. Verse uh, 22. He said to his disciples, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life what ye shall eat, neither for the body what ye shall put on. The life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barn, and God feedeth them. How much more are ye better than the fowls? And which of you, uh, with taking thought, can add to his stature one cubit? If ye then be not able to do that thing which is least, why take ye thought for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They toil not, neither uh, they spin not. Yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothed the grass which today is today in the field and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you if ye have strong faith? No, O ye of little faith. He's not feeding us. He's not clothing us because we're great strong sheep. He's doing it because He loves us and cares for us. And seek not ye what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind, for all these things do the nations of the world seek after. And your Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. But rather, seek ye the kingdom of God, spiritual things. And all these things should be added unto you. Fear not, little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now, kingdom of God, he said later in Luke, he said, it cometh not with observation, it's within you. Romans says kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it's righteousness, joy, peace in the Holy Ghost. You know what the chief shepherd delights to give his sheep? Love, joy, peace. Long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, goodness, temperance, faith, compassion, hope, mercy, grace, all of these things. What's the world crazy for? Material things. The chief shepherd said, I'll give you all that you need. Don't worry about that. You follow me and I'll give you what you can't buy with money. I'll give you what you can't find in this world. I'll give you the, the inward, spiritual, satisfying blessings that make life worth living. That's a chief shepherd. And thank God for it. You know, we as Christians, we've got to go to work. The Lord commanded it. We've got to care for our families and all that. We understand all that. But the real challenge is to make sure that we're not like lost people and that our life never gets beyond the material. If we'll follow the chief shepherd, he can lead us into green pastures of spiritual grace while we're at work. He can lead us into still waters of, of spiritual restoration while we're at home. We don't have to go to church as the only place we can get a little bit of God. We can follow that chief shepherd every single day of our life, everywhere we go, and enjoy his blessings. Amen. So, that's a chief shepherd. I prefer him to any pastor I've ever had. Do you prefer him to any pastor you've ever had? Okay, good. Just checking. Better say that. 
All right. Let's look in Song of Solomon, chapter 5, and 2 Samuel, chapter 18. Then I'm going to read you a little something uh, from a book. Not God's book, a man's book, but it's very good. Song of Solomon, if you're here from England, Canticle, chapter number 5, and 2 Samuel, chapter 18. Jesus Christ is without a doubt, the chiefest among 10,000. Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verse number 9. What is thy beloved more than another beloved, O thou fairest among women? What is thy beloved more than another beloved, that thou dost so charge us? Her answer, My beloved is white and ready, the chiefest among 10,000. Now, I like that phrase because it's open-ended. Jesus is the chiefest among 10,000 prophets. He's the chiefest among 10,000 gods. He's the chiefest among 10,000 saviors. He's the chiefest among 10,000 deities. He's the chiefest among 10,000 prophets or teachers or rabbis or ministers. You just plug anything you want to in there. If you had 10,000 of the greatest of this and 10,000 of the best of that, Jesus Christ would be chiefest. He would stand head and shoulders above them all. 2 Samuel 18. It's time to go out to battle and David is, well, David's men are concerned about him. He's begun to lose his edge. They don't want him to go. Verse 3, the people answered, but the people answered, Thou shalt not go forth. For if we flee away, they will not care for us. Neither if half of us die will they care for us. But now thou art worth ten thousand of us. Therefore now it is better that thou succor us out of the city. So David, you, you shoot us on out to battle, and we'll do our best. But you stay here. Because they'd rather, they'd rather take out 10,000 of us no-count soldiers. If they could do that, that's nothing compared to the joy they'd have if they could take you out. You're more important, you're worth more than 10,000 of us. You know, I, I get the feeling, I, I hope I never come across this way, I don't want to. I get the feeling sometimes when I listen to some ministers... If they really think that church just couldn't live without them. And the truth of the matter is, that church couldn't live without Jesus. And they give this impression that, you know, I, I'm the man of God, and how could you ever get to God without me? And, you know, if we had 10,000 of you and just one Jesus, we'd take that one Jesus any day of the week. And if, if we... As we do, the church loses ministers and prayer warriors and great soul winners and great givers and great missionaries go home to be with the Lord. And, and as those people have died one by one for 2,000 years, the church rolls on as strong as ever because the 10,000 best servants the Lord ever had aren't the equal to Jesus Christ. And church, what we need, what we need, is for everybody to do their part. 
and for everybody to step up and be the best Christian they can be, and for everybody to give all that they can to the Lord, but to never, never, never think for one split second that any of us is what the church really needs. What the church really needs is Jesus Christ. Every one of us can be replaced. Jesus can't be replaced. Every one of us is flawed and defective. Jesus is altogether lovely. Every one of us has our areas of inability and weakness and infirmity. Jesus Christ is the almighty God forever and forever and forever. He's the chiefest among 10,000. Tomorrow afternoon, no doubt, you'll, you'll encounter one of those young people down there, college students or, or, or uh, alcohol students, depending whether they go to Stetson or the Blind Pig, whichever group they're from. Um, one of them will tell you, well, I don't see where Jesus is any better than Muhammad or Buddha or Confucius or Charles Darwin or John Lennon or the rest of it. You know why they say that? Because they don't know anything about him. If they knew who he was and what he did, if they knew what he's doing right now and what he's going to do, they, they'd, they'd step away from that position and say, all those men have their peers, but Jesus has no peer. He is the chiefest among any 10,000 you want to roll out there. He's, he's number one. Now, uh, this this from uh, one of Brother Lockyer's books, and he said this about Jesus being the chiefest of 10,000 and uh, No, he didn't. I'm sorry. He cited this. This is from um, Moody Stewart. He wrote on the Song of Solomon in Edinburgh, Scotland in 1857. 1857. Stewart said this. Among 10,000 kings, Jesus is the one anointed king, the king of kings. Among 10,000 lords, Jesus is the one lord over all. He's the Lord of lords. Among 10,000 leaders, Jesus is the one leader and commander of the people. Among 10,000 captains in the Lord's host, Jesus is the one captain of salvation. Among 10,000 conquerors with palms in their hands, Jesus is the one conqueror over sin, death, and hell who proclaims, I have overcome. Among 10,000 holy ones, Jesus is the Holy One of God. Among 10,000 shepherds, Jesus is the Good Shepherd, the Great Shepherd, and the Chief Shepherd of the sheep. Among 10,000 priests unto God, Jesus is the one High Priest consecrated forevermore. Among 10,000 prophets, Jesus is the one prophet, that prophet of whom Moses wrote. Among 10,000 firstborn in the General Assembly, Jesus is the one firstborn of the Father. Among 10,000 born out of death, Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. Among 10,000 holy creatures, Jesus is the firstborn of every creature. Among 10,000 risen ones, Jesus is the resurrection. Among 10,000 living ones, Jesus is the life. Among 10,000 names in heaven or in earth, Jesus is the one name by which men must be saved. Among 10,000 brothers, Jesus is the brother born for adversity. Among 10,000 friends, Jesus is the friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Among 10,000 kinsmen, Jesus is the kinsman redeemer, closer than your next of kin. Among 10,000 advocates, Jesus is the one advocate with the Father. 
Among 10,000 judges, Jesus is the judge of the world in righteousness. Among 10,000 physicians, Jesus is the physician of the sick for whom there is no healer. Among 10,000 deliverers, Jesus is the Savior of the lost. Among 10,000 philanthropists, Jesus is the friend of sinners. Among 10,000 deliverers, Jesus is the Savior of them that are lost. Among 10,000 counselors, Jesus is the wonderful counselor. Among 10,000 orators, it is Jesus who spake as never man spake. Among 10,000 true witnesses, Jesus alone is the true and faithful witness. Among 10,000 martyrs, Jesus is the one who died witnessing a great confession. Among 10,000 meek and lowly, it is Jesus who is the meek and lowly one. Among 10,000 valiant uh, soldiers, he is the one who stood alone in the breach in the day of battle. Among 10,000 wise men, he is the wisdom of God. Among 10,000 just, he is the just one. Among 10,000 mourners, he is the man of sorrows. Among 10,000 joyful souls, he is anointed with the oil of gladness above his fellows. Among 10,000 stars, Jesus is the sun shining in its strength. Among 10,000 trees of righteousness, Jesus is the true vine. Among 10,000 branches, Jesus is the branch of the Lord. Among 10,000 roses, Jesus is the rose of Sharon. Among 10,000 flowers, Jesus is the lily of the valleys. Among 10,000 sheep, He is the Lamb of God. Among 10,000 faithful servants, He is the servant of the Father. Among 10,000 children, Jesus is the Father's only begotten and well-beloved Son. I say to you tonight, if you could choose the 10,000 greatest men who ever lived on this earth, or Jesus, take Jesus. He is the chiefest among 10,000. I believe that. I've read literature. I've watched men. I've observed their deeds. I've read their histories. All the great men of all the ages combined couldn't, couldn't lift a finger to touch the hem of his garment when it comes to what a man has done for mankind. Jesus Christ, the chiefest among 10,000. Amen. Our Father, we're thankful tonight, truly, sincerely thankful for our chief shepherd. And Father, not, we, we won't just limit him to his role and ministry as shepherd we say in any field, in any category, in any classification, Jesus is the chiefest among 10,000. And we're glad to profess that this is so. And we thank you and we praise you in his precious and wonderful name. Amen and amen.